the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. What's up, everybody? This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Land Grant, Holy Land. As always, I'm joined today by Jordan Williams. How you doing today, Jordan? I'm good. I'm good. I'm hoping that uh, the podcast is half as good as the conversation we just spent 30 minutes having without pressing record. So, But I'm off tomorrow, uh, so today is my Friday. Uh, I'm living. Lucky man. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I think the conversation will be just as good. I think it. What we were talking about pre-shows, the stuff that gets us fired up during the show. So I think it's definitely a conversation that's going to be worth having and rehashing. We'll probably be rehashing this in some semblance of a way next Friday as well, uh, depending on how Ohio State runs the football this week and how the national media decides to discuss common opponents, because this is another one on the checklist between Ohio State and Michigan. And there are some certain people at certain outlets who only think Ohio State and Michigan have played one team similarly and i think that's that's a bold proclamation to make uh wide netting statements on but i I think i'm excited for today's show i think there's some interesting historical factoids between ohio state and indiana mostly on their winsipedia page uh it's it's a pretty crazy stat the series the current state of the series between ohio state and indiana uh we're gonna discuss pretty much everything we want to learn from this game and then uh, we've got Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, talk to the media like always. And we're going to finish off with some national college football conversations. Give you guys some opinions there before we head to our score predictions for the day. So without blabbering on too long, let's get into the Indiana report. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on Indiana coming into this game before we get into some of the stuff we got in the notes? Uh, my initial thoughts on Indiana are that if Kane Womack is not the head coach next year, I'm going to be livid and they will become my new Nebraska. If anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about, the campaign to fire Scott Frost that I was on for almost a year will be the campaign to fire Tom Allen. That is the only thought that I have on Indiana. Um, and if you think he can pull it around, it doesn't matter. Kane Womack deserves a shot. And if you don't give him a shot, he's going to get a shot in the SEC or down south. This is something I learned on another podcast, but his dad is like a very longtime SEC assistant and is very well uh, respected. So one of these SEC teams is going to give him a shot if he keeps winning in the Sun Belt. So you, the team that he was your defensive coordinator on, should get him a year early, bring him to the Big Ten, and keep him and then hope that the SEC just doesn't take him from your job. So that's my thought. It has nothing to do with anything on the field. Tom Allen is a great guy. He's a great person. Um, I like, you know, I hear him talk sometimes and I'm like, man, I would run through a wall for this guy. I've said it multiple times. I love his, I joke about it all the time because he's a bad coach now. Um, and Indiana has the same problem that the Colts have. When you have a nice guy coach, it's great when you're winning, but when you're losing, you tone them out because they won't get on anyone and they won't yell at anyone. And they're just like, oh, I'm so proud of you. You're proud of the freaking 38 
completely lost. Um, but anyway, long story short, they need to fire him and hire Kane Womack. And that's yeah. Gonna- I, I think Tom Allen, I, I, I'm with you. I like him a lot. I, I was very high on him when he first got the Indiana job because of kind of his very pro player uh, mindset. But I do think it, it's similar to what we're seeing with B.J. Fleck at Minnesota. It's similar to what we see with these guys who – I don't want to call his personality a shtick. I just can't think of, like, a better word for it. But, like, when your philosophy is tied to one personality trait, it really makes it hard – to adapt in situations like I like you look at great coaches Nick Saban Ryan Day even uh no I'm not gonna say it because he just got beat by Notre Dame uh but like coaches who have won national championships are able to like, kind of balance that player friendliness balance that sternness balance kind of all that stuff and that's not something I've seen Tom Allen do well and you know in-game adjustments is one thing but you also need to make adjustments off the field and I don't think we've seen any adjustments from Indiana on the field since their solid COVID year and that's kind of my biggest issue with the team itself and it does suck for them they lost Kalen DeBoer they lost Kane Womack two very talented young defense and offense coordinators but that's where it comes back to, like, you need to be ready to reload and replace if you're going to have sustained success. And I, I just don't see that in Indiana. And if Indiana as a program is ready to take on that Northwestern approach where they're really bad for three or four years, you know what? That's great for you. Indiana's never had sustained success. But it felt like at the time when Tom Allen was taking over, they wanted more. Yeah, and I don't think he's the different like Northwestern's on my list as well. But the difference between them and Northwestern is Northwestern at least has the well, he's a Northwestern guy. He played here, he coached here, he's taken us to our highest heights. It's hard to fire that guy. You don't really have that with Tom Allen. I mean, I guess you can say he's taken them to their highest heights or whatever, but like it's it's just not the same. Both of the coaches need fired regardless, but it's just not the same. And so I just think that – and here's the thing, uh, and this is just an Indiana thing, I guess, because obviously the culture in Indianapolis, when, you're, when your thing is positivity, right, going back to your point of uh, national championship coaches, national championship coaches are always psychos to the point where, like, sometimes you're like, hey, man, it's okay to celebrate. Nick Saban literally said that, like, hey, he celebrates a national championship for 30 minutes and then starts recruiting. That's insane. That That's I don't scary. know that everyone needs to do that. But I'll as a... I'd take the Edo approach. I get my one. I'm probably done. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it's just like when you're super positive all the time, players like it's weird to say, but anyone who's played sports understands this. You need to be like not yelled at because not everyone likes to be yelled at, but you need to be kind of put in your place sometimes. You need someone, whether it's being yelled at, tough love, sternness, discipline, whatever it is, and you're going to lose players' respects when they play terribly and you still say, oh, I'm proud of you. We're going to figure it out. That's my fault. You guys didn't do anything wrong. You're either going to lose their respect 
Or worst case, they're going to believe you and be like, oh, I don't need to get better. The coaches didn't put me in position to succeed because that's what the coaches are saying. And that's the thing with coach. Uh, with, uh, I'm going to get a little something off my chest. That's what got Frank Reich fired with the Colts. He was doing that. And it's just like you can't be positive all the time. Like, I like I understand you may not always want to go into the media and like cuss a player out or something like that. But after the games, we're watching these locker room conversations. It's like, I just believe so much in this team and we're going to figure it out. And then news reports comes out that like in the locker rooms, players are upset with the coach because he won't get on players who are playing bad, especially some of the star players. And, you know, you talk about coaches that win championships. One of the first thing Ty Lue did when he became the head coach of the Cavs with LeBron, LeBron made a mistake in, in a game he and Ty Lue undressed him in front of the entire team. And it's like, oh, shit, if he can undress LeBron, he can undress everybody. Like, he can coach anybody. And when you're not coaching your stars and when you're loving on everybody and everything's all positive, rah, rah, you're never getting better. And it got Frank Wright fired. And so, and Frank Wright had more success than uh, Tom Allen did. So, I think it's time, guys. Like, if you love him yeah. that much and the new guy wants him, put him on staff somewhere, whatever. But being a nice guy isn't enough to stop you from getting fired. You can be a nice yeah. guy somewhere else. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I, I think a big reason Tom Allen was such a good fit for Indiana at the time was because of the reason Kevin Wilson got fired was for player bullying. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't want to dive back into that for Kevin Wilson, but like, you needed a transformational type of individual from that standpoint, and Tom Allen was that. He, he breathes positivity. It's just... They were three and zero. Now they're zero and six. So uh, yeah. positivity can only get you so far, like you were saying. Uh, but yeah, let's get into it. let's get into the series. I've got the Winsipedia page pulled up. I've got some stats here. Uh, Ohio State's been dominant. Uh, they have beat Indiana. I want to get the series total right before I get into the like, current state. It, it's it's insane. Uh, so Ohio State is seventy seven and twelve all time against Northwest or Indiana. Sorry. 77 and 12 with five ties. So in 104 games, they've won close to 80% of them of the ones with results. Sheesh. That is insane. It, it, I think it, it honestly might be the most like lopsided conference like matchup in all of college football. It's got to be close to it. And they have played a lot of times, uh, and it has rarely gone Indiana's way. And this is a fun fact I saw kind of online a few places, but Indiana's lost 27 straight games against Ohio State. 1991 was the last time uh, the game was close. I believe it was a tie then. So hold on. I'm going to pull it up. I got it. So 1990 was the last time Indiana had a result that wasn't negative against Ohio State. And the last time they won was in 1988. Sheesh. I wish I built a list of things that weren't invented by 1988. Like, you know, when people are like, oh, Michigan hasn't won in Columbus since before YouTube, before the iPhone. There's a lot more stuff in that list since Indiana has beat Ohio State. 
Well, I, I'll just say this. Uh, I wasn't uh, invented in 1988, so... <laughs> yeah. My dad was still in high school in 1988, actually. Yeah. I'm in high school, man. Earl Bruce really messed that one up. Jesus. I'm not that's even going to... Oh, no, it was John Cooper. Yeah, that's about right, actually. And Earl Bruce, so... Uh, back-to-back years, losing to Indiana back-to-back years. Uh, I'm not sure how good of a coach Bill Mallory is. I'm not that well-versed in uh, my Indiana history, but I just pulled him up on Google, and he looks cool. Yeah, I, I don't know nothing about it, but um, that's just – that's crazy. It's down bad. That's, that was the down bad era for Ohio State's what it's looking like. Uh, but, yeah. 27 straight. Uh, hold on, I got them on a sticky note because I wanted to write them down. Uh, so all time, I counted up the wins, uh, or in the win streak, I counted it up. Ohio State's outscored Indiana 924 to 421. Sheesh, five hundred points. The average game 34.2 to 15.6 points. That's that's really bad. Included considering that most of those years, offense just wasn't a thing. Yeah, for almost what from nineteen ninety to about twenty thirteen. Uh, yeah, really, and that's twenty thirteen when Kevin Wilson got there. That's where a lot of like the closest games happened. So that's crazy. Uh, and then I say I, I had to look at what they'd done versus Tom Allen. Uh, do you think the scoring margin has been better or worse against Tom Allen? Oh, it's been absolutely better. Uh, well, better or worse for in which direction? Better for, for them for better Ohio for State. Oh, it's been absolutely better for Ohio State because um, Kevin Wilson. I remember one of the games was like forty-four to forty-one or something weird. Like I would yeah. imagine it's probably somewhere closer to like forty-four to seventeen, forty-four to thirteen, you're something pretty, like that. You're right there with the margin. It was forty-nine to twenty-three. Okay, I was so close. right there with the margin. We just scored more points than you thought. Uh, but that's insane if you really think about it. Just like that sustained level of dominance over one single program. And even in their closest, even in some of Indiana's best years, Ohio State still won by two scores multiple times. So it's like even on Indiana's best day, they just haven't had enough recently. And they haven't had many best days, if we're being yeah. honest. Yeah, I honestly, I think the most stressed I remember being during an Indiana-Ohio State game was whichever one Jalen Marshall had to pretty much carry the team by himself. And that was under uh, Kevin Wilson. That was the 44-41 yeah. to or something weird. Yeah, it was incredible. But, uh, yeah, it has not been all that stressful. Uh, and I honestly think it's pretty crazy how – Indiana season's gone this year. They started off beating Illinois, which in hindsight, pretty impressive win. But no, absolutely not. It was first game of the season, and I like I'm so much don't let the refs beat you. But literally, it's a play call that everyone who watched it knew it was a touchdown. He caught the ball. He got on his knees. He turned ninety degrees, and then he stood up. All of this. Before the ball dropped, and they said it wasn't a touchdown. That yeah, is the, right. that is the scam of the freaking century. So yeah, they should legitimately be two and seven, then not three and six. Uh, but yeah, they beat. Uh, so the only two teams they've really beaten without the refs are uh, Idaho, 
um, moved to the FCS in Western Kentucky in overtime. But I'm pretty sure the refs helped him out there, too. So it wouldn't surprise me. I, I, I watched that game. I can't say for sure. But also, Western Kentucky is replacing everyone that mattered on that team. And Indiana yeah. beat Western Kentucky last year when they yeah. had Bailey Zappi and stuff like that because a Big Ten team should beat Western Kentucky no matter what. You're right. Yep. Um, other highlighted results, they got beat by Cincinnati by 21, and this isn't even a very good Cincinnati team. They got beat by Nebraska by 14. We all know how Nebraska is this year. Uh, I will say this. They are only down uh, seven points going into the fourth quarter against Michigan. They were tied at halftime, 10 to 10. So that's Whoa, the expectation. Don't, don't that's let the, the national media hear that. Yeah, don't let them hear it. I'm just – yeah, bringing yeah. it up because uh, Ohio, State was losing, Ohio State was losing to Penn State, so they're a terrible team. So we can't yeah, talk about any of Michigan's flaws. Yeah, and impressive, impressive win, you know, 21 points over Indiana. Uh, tied at halftime. I'm just saying, it's like, you know, teams have ebbs and flows during a season. It's not crazy. Impressive performance yeah. by – it took a – God-level effort of Indiana to keep the most complete team in football close. Yeah. Um, speaking of Michigan, this is so random because we haven't talked about this forever. I just thought about it. Do you think Michigan people still listen to our podcast? Because this is – I just made me remember of the people who are, like, trying to dog us on Twitter for, like, a week and a half. And I'm yeah. just like, how, how did, why is Michigan people listening to our podcast? I still think they do. Uh, they hate us, and I appreciate their – Listens, it would be nice. I could. Uh, I wish the analytics tool weren't weren't based on country, so we could see like the states. But I, I think there's still some sleeper agents listening to us. So, do you ever hate listening uh, Michigan podcast? I have never. I don't think. Well, because number one, they're not good. Like, I, I don't think they have any good podcasts. Uh, but like I've listened to. I really, I'm trying to think of other teams I've listened to podcasts for, and I, I just, I don't have enough time to try to go listen to another team's podcast. Yeah, my job has changed, and I don't listen to podcasts as much as I used to because I don't have, like, any free time. I'm always, like, meeting with students and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I just thought that's interesting. Like, I, I haven't, I've haven't, i listened to maybe a, a couple non-Ohio State podcasts, and it was for, like, a reason. It was like there was a guest I wanted to listen to. I yeah. listened to a Notre Dame podcast because they were talking Notre Dame, Ohio State in the summer and, like, something else. But, um that is totally off subject. I just we haven't talked about that in a while. I thought it was funny. I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder if Michigan fans are still listening to this. We're gonna, it's gonna get clipped when we're talking about Michigan has flaws. And they're gonna be like, ah, oh, look at the Buckeye guys again or whatever. Yeah, um, I will say, um, if they are listening, you know, tweet at us. We're used to it. It's fine. Uh, yeah. Jackson Hill is not on the on the University of Michigan's roster. Shocking. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson is not there anymore. Uh, Shocking. Jabo, not there anymore. I think three Who or four predicted other, that? Three or four of the other players we listed aren't there, which was the basic premise of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Without a roster in front of us, I feel like in hindsight, we actually did a pretty good job there, like actually pulling names out of just thin air and saying, like, yeah, these draft-eligible guys. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the funniest thing is that they're like, that guy sounds like he was about to cry. You're right, because I was about to cry, because that shit pissed me off. I'm yeah. not afraid to admit it. I was about to cry. I was I was very close to shedding a couple tears about that, because I that was disgusting. <laughs> and it's like, damn, if you don't, if you if the rivalry don't I, make you want to cry, are you really into the rivalry? I was drinking some copium as well, so I'll be honest, I was coping. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hindsight, uh, it was five minutes after the game. Yeah, I was upset. <laughs> I, I do not think they have an Aiden Hutchinson this year. I might, I might be going out on a limb there, but it felt like any time Ohio State had some semblance of momentum against them offensively, uh, some guy game wrecked the whole thing. And yeah, so I, I don't know. Is Junior Colson of that level? I don't think so. No. Mozzie Smith is good, but he's not of that level either. So. We need to we need to decide on our six year senior right now. Who's it gonna be? I think it's gotta be Junior Colson because he's so young. Mm, how old is Mozzie Smith? Let's look, let's look. If you guys have been with us, he this might long, actually be a six year senior though, so he might not count. Uh, yeah, Smith is a I, – I don't know. This is – he's 21, so I don't know what that means anymore. Uh, <laughs> he's a senior. Uh, damn. I feel like he's a young senior. Was I 21 as a senior? I feel like I turned – when. okay, so I graduated college 2018. I was born – yeah, I turned 23 my senior year. How the hell is he a senior? When did he start college? When did he start school? <laughs> one of those big kids. I turned 23 my senior year. Yeah, I was born in like, 1995. I, I graduated in 2018. Oh, okay. Wait, wait, wait. I can't, I'm not, I can't be used for this math. I took a year off before I started school. How old were you when you graduated? Did you go right after high school? I, yeah, I did. I So I graduated in 2019. So I was 22 when I graduated, going on 23. Okay, so maybe he just he was he's a year early, not two years early. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, I'm going with Junior Colson as my six year senior this year. Uh, I don't know how old he is. I don't care how old he is. No. Uh, I, I actually do think he will be on the roster next year. So he's going to use his COVID year. Uh, Most of these guys are going to be on the roster this year because none of them are. Like, I'm not going to say they're not that good, but, like, they're not, like, I read the draft articles and stuff. Michigan's players aren't in there. The um, Yeah. I, I will say, uh, for you who don't know, like, this was a big deal last year. So, you guys are going to be yeah. in our joke this year because uh, that's like actually – Literally for, like, a week play. and a half, people with blue check marks were tweeting at us. Yeah, and most of them lived in Toledo, so I really don't oh, – sorry to Toledo listeners, but uh, – Sorry, apologies, but you know, come on, the, the Michigan fans in Toledo—they're they're insufferable. So yeah, you don't even live in Michigan. Relax, get over it. Like, all right, relax. And then all the—it it was weird having all the like Wolverine fan like five two nine four three seven eight two like in our mentions. That was a weird experience. Yeah, like getting the like the bot looking accounts coming at you. The, like, hey, at least my face is right in front of you. It's awesome. Yeah. If you're going to come at me, at least have your own picture. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just interesting how, you know, they didn't say anything when all those players were no longer on the roster. Nope. Uh, it, it, yeah. It seemed like they all stopped once all of them started declaring for the draft. Yeah. Like, ah, man. 
who thought? Who could have thought that these guys? Hey, he's might have six Congrats, he's not on your team. Uh, but yeah, all jokes aside, uh, it's Indiana week. Uh, Indiana ranks 80th in most statistical categories. They're not good. No. Uh, I said this last week, too, and then it did not turn out in my favor. But do you want me to read through, like, the main offensive stats real quick? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just – I'm not – the values not, not, don't matter. I'm just going to go points per game, 97th, yards per game, 114th. Points per play, 112th, yards per play, 128th. Then 99th and third down conversion percentage. Offensively, that that is bad. In right. case you were uh, wondering, defensively, here we go. Uh, 109th in opponents' points per game. 105th opponents' yards per game. 87th points per play. A little step up for them. <coughs> Not too bad there. This is actually their best stat. Opponents' yards per play, 5.3. That's because most of their opponents are taking the foot off the gas to close the game out. Um. Opponents third down conversion percentage eighty six percent. So uh, that that's not good. That's not. It's did you say eighty six percent on third down? Uh, they are giving up. They're eighty sixth in the country on third down conversion. Oh, eighty six percent is automatic. Like yeah, that, that's like <laughs> UConn circa like two thousand nineteen. Yeah, that yeah. that's be crazy. But. Yeah, I actually, you know, I, I don't want to, like, get too much into stats. And I, I said this last week, and, you know, the worst part was it actually came true. I was like, the only thing that's going to keep Northwestern in this matchup is insane weather. And I'm going to re-say that again. The only thing that will keep Indiana in this game is insane weather. <clears throat> and even with that, I mean, like, if we're going to talk about it, at any point in, like – I hate saying this because I, I want you to understand, like, if you look at my tweets, like, I'm not making excuses for Ohio State. But was there any point in the game where you felt like Northwestern was going to win? No. No. And I'm, like, not a good fan to, like, really talk about from that, like, point. Because I, like, Ohio State, like, doesn't get one first down. And I'm also, I'm, like, on the ledge. Like, it seems the worst in the country. Like, that's the type <laughs> Like viewer, I am uh, me in game versus me immediately after game. Two totally different people. Like if you read my tweets during the game, you're like, this guy's a sicko and he needs like absolute medical attention. And then I write a thread after the game that's like super measured and like, okay, this is what really yeah. happened. And it's like, all right, like me watching the game is literally like the fucking um, excuse my language, but it's like the freaking um. Uh, Sour Patch Kids commercials <laughs> yeah. first they're sour then they're sweet like me during the game I'm always sour like I don't care what happened like we're at like 50 to nothing and I'm like really you're gonna run a, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna call that play Ryan Day right now like like you're gonna run you're gonna call inside zone like yeah I'm, I'm terrible but then after the game I'm like okay look what this is what really happened it's like why are we putting the walk-ons in we need style points <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Ryan Day. The program's soft. Uh, all right. Um, what, what else we got? What else we got? Uh, 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 in, I've, oh, oh, okay. Sorry. Before yeah. we go, before we go I on. I just went through all the bad teams, but I meant to say Indiana. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> before, before we continue, so um, this is how bad I am in game. So I was watching the game on the TV, and here's the thing. The TV only shows you one thing. So I tweeted – 
I saw Northwestern jumping up and down and celebrating even though they were in the rain. And I was like, oh, Northwestern jumping up and down in the rain. Tell me how Ohio State isn't soft. And friend of the friend of the podcast, Bill Landis, uh, responded. It's crazy how he only responds to my bad tweets. He responded, and he was like, Ohio State players were jumping up and down too. And I was like, oh, okay, I take it back. They're still soft. Just wrong example. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, I can't be trusted in game. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you got any players to watch on, on, on Indiana? I almost said Nebraska again. That's basically like your brain when you're like, this is my new Nebraska. I just made Indiana Nebraska in my head. Uh, no. No, Javon uh, I mean, Swinton, he's all right. Uh, would not like he's okay. Uh, Connor Basilic, Basilic. Yeah, it's Basilic. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's he's the the sad he, thing about him. He's he not out playing, there. He's not playing great. But the sad thing about him, he's still probably top like half in the Big Ten because there's yeah. so many like really really bad quarterbacks. Like Iowa, Iowa's Iowa wins the Big Ten West with him at quarterback. Yeah, actually, you're probably right. I actually, he slings it around a little bit. Um, he's got a really good arm. He's just literally a statue. And yeah. when you drop back and throw 45, 50 times a game like they do, it is not a good circumstance for a statue. Yeah, I do have players to watch. Uh, the the bastards who spurned Ohio State for freaking oh, Indiana. All of yeah. them. It was the McCulloughs or McCullums or what? What is it? Dason McCullough. Dason McCullough. Yeah. McCullough. Yeah. Both both him and his brother. I, I'm watching them. What are y'all gonna do for this crappy team? How soon are you gonna be on Ohio State's roster? Your dad's not even there. What's up? Yeah, your dad left in here. That's crazy to me. Uh, defensively, they lost their really good linebacker they had for like what, like eight years. What was his name? Yeah. Michael McFadden. Yep, he's really he's good. finally gone. Um, so they're Desamicolo is basically trying to take his place. He does an okay job. We got Aaron Casey, decent player. Uh, they're like honestly for how bad they've been these last six games. They don't have like the worst roster in the Big Ten. No, that goes to Northwestern and Rutgers. Yeah, so, yeah and I, I do think they just are. They're just getting outplayed on a weekly basis. The one player to watch that we don't actually have to watch anymore because guess what? The story's gone. Actually, they'll probably still mention it. Ryan Day found Chris Olave while he was on a recruiting visit to see Jack Tuttle in San Diego. <laughs> we haven't heard that for like six times a game for the last three or four, three or four years. I'm so and like the worst part is it's like it's Joel Klatt's like favorite thing to bring up about Jack Tuttle and they'll they'll make sure the segment gets in there they'll make sure yeah and then Gus Johnson's like man that's crazy what a small world it is like, and that's that's why I don't like Big Noon Kickoff anymore because it's the most predictable of the broadcasts yeah. I still like Big Noon Kickoff better than all of the other ones, especially no, especially because it's last year. But I'm very high on the Kirk and Fowler one. I'm not. So, uh, State won't be getting there. This is why Again. I'm not happy about the Kirk and Fowler one. It is very very obvious that Amazon is paying Kirk more, and he is not putting in the amount of time that he used to in college football. And I'm not mad at it. Like, go get the bag, but. He does not put in the time like he used to because he works on Thursday and then has literally a day in between where he's traveling and then he's on TV on Saturday. 
I don't think he, like I've I've never hated Kirk as much as other people have, but I think they've definitely fallen off, and it's largely because of his schedule. Um, and I yeah. like Jenny Taft. I think she's good at her job, and I like Gus because like people take his energy. Yeah, people take his excitable nature to be like boring, but like this dude gets excited in a blowout. Like it just makes like fun plays fun. So I, that's yeah. why I still like because like I don't know. Yeah, I'm not saying because there is so much worse than the big yeah. kickoff crew. I think it's this yeah. is going to sound like conceited, but when you know football and don't need someone to explain it to you, I don't need it. Someone that's good at telling me what happens. I just need someone that makes the game fun, and I think Gus does that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking of all the ESPN crews, and I'm glad, like, Ohio State's never going to have to, like, associate with them again, really. But, man, there are some rough, rough crews at Fox yes. that I'm worried about. There are some rough crews. I don't even know how many crews NBC has at this point. So they probably only have one or two, but their commitment is to, like, NBC's totally revamping their thing because they're coming up with a show beforehand, and yeah. they're doing if some Fox other stuff. <laughs> ever has Jack Collinsworth on a game it's going to be the quickest game muted of all time it's got the Orlovsky level of mutate like being muted okay so no one cares about Indiana so we can talk about it what is wrong with Orlovsky because I don't I don't hate him it's it's the same thing you kind of said with he's just like a worse version of Joel Klatt to me okay and to be honest, it's like kind of like what you said. I don't need some guy explaining to the game when I already know it. And Orlovsky ran out of the back of the end zone. I've just never been able to respect him since. <laughs> like, I could have had that game you had for the Lions, and you're telling me what to think. And granted, like, he played at UConn. He wore Aeropostale uh, uniforms. If you guys don't know about that, look it up. It's insane. They had Aeropostale. Like, you know that brand? Like everyone wore in middle school. Mm-hmm. Some people still wear it. I don't know. Is it cool again? You know, that's kind of rotating out. I know, like, like I've got some clothes that I wouldn't have thought I'd be buying 10 years ago now. But, well, uh, so I don't know about Aeropostale, but Abercrombie, or is it Aeropostale? Yeah, I got, I got some, I got some shirts. Is it Abercrombie? They, I think it's Abercrombie and Fitch. They, um, my, like I, uh, they change management and they're cool again. Yeah, and it's not like the like you know uh, twelve pack you know dudes that are six seven outside. It's just like really really quality clothes. They I have a bunch of like vintage shirts from them. That yeah, are good too. Their vintage shirts are amazing. Like I have a Dolphin shirt, a Lakers shirt, a Bulls shirt. Like they're like kind of like vintagey sports collection. Fire. So yeah, they got some cool stuff now. No free ads. No free. Ads. I feel like they dropped the Fitch. I don't think anyone says that anymore. I think well, Fitch, my shirt still got Fitch on them. Oh, I don't ever wear embroidered shirts, so but no, I don't want your company logo. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, 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 okay. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. So you guys can either tell us how old we are or if we're still young with that conversation. Or I think. Well, I don't know what our Maybe. listeners are like, so we may be young to them, but we're old to a lot of people because they don't remember going to the mall on Black Friday and seeing seven dudes that were all six two, six three, standing up. outside with a freaking with no shirt on. And it's like, hmm. No one thought that the mall was a family place. Like nobody thought yeah. about that at all. Like you literally have a bunch of like eighteen year olds sitting outside with a freaking twelve pack, just flexing, advertising your store, and no one thought that was a problem. Like nobody was like, "Huh?" It's it's just hilarious now that the documentary has come out. 
Yeah, yeah it's yeah. Abercrombie. I didn't watch the documentary, uh, but it's hilarious that it comes out and they talk about their like hiring practice and like all of these other kind of things. And it's like, yeah, because you found the three people in Canton that had a 12 pack at 17. There's a lot of people you didn't hire to get there. And how did you know they had a 12 pack? Did you ask them to take their shirt off in the interview? I'm sure your hiring practice wanna, was not great. I don't want to. I don't want to dig into this. Uh, <laughs> you've seen the movie Neighbors, right? Where Zach Efron, yeah. at the end, he has to get a job, and that's the job he gets. Out of school. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, come on now. What are we doing? What are we Seth doing Rogan, here, people? Says Rogan stands next to him. That was awesome. Uh, what? All right, all right, all right. What else we got? All right, let's get into what we need to see from Ohio State this week before we get into some more. I, you know what? I, I like the I like the flow of this. We we say something serious, it leads to something not so serious, and I think that's that's how we should approach watching college football. Yeah. Uh, short short yards issues and third down improvement this game. So I got a stat pulled up, and this is a stat you like stuff rate. Uh, Indiana is fifteen point four percent stuff rate, and that's good for ninety eighth in the country defensively. Do you, we should uh, probably we should explain what stuff rate is. You could take that because I, I just know the stat, and you could take the explanation because I, so, I don't want to detail. Is it, is it stuff rate or stop rate? Stuff rate. Stuff rate. So if I remember correctly, stuff rate is plays um, that go for no gain or get tackled at the line of scrimmage. Uh, at, sorry, I just said the same thing twice. Uh plays that get tackled at the line of scrimmage or for a loss. Like, they stuff the play from happening. Um, it's stuff right. Yeah, at or before the line of scrimmage. That's yeah. what I got here. Nailed it. Yep, so uh, that's that's good for Ohio State with their struggles recently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of this, you know, you take for what you take this for granted or whatever. I, I don't know. If I should probably look ahead before I say this. Um, CJ Stroud did mention that Paris Johnson Jr. and Jawan Jones have taken responsibility for the short yardage and take this absolutely with a grain of salt. One of the terrible Ohio State beat writers, because I feel like they all suck. Um, tweeted how the offensive line was the last position group off the field. So it really feels like a like a player-led movement, which I feel like some of this stuff has to be. Mm-hmm. Like your players just have to have pride. You have pride in your job. Uh, that's why every time a LeBron team's playing so badly, they, they do a players-only meeting, and then they usually win a few games in a row. Yeah. So... Uh, but yeah, I think Dewan uh, did talk about this with, I believe it was Austin Ward last week about how he's kind of been thrust into like a leadership role and he's never been like a vocal guy, but he's like the elder statesman starting on the offensive line. And he's kind of been the leader of that group as they've come up from the threes to the twos to now starting. And I, I don't know. I think it was interesting. You said Paris Johnson's taking a lot of that because he's a younger guy. And I, I think that shows a lot. You know, he's, he's got high expectations. I think that's a big step, you know, in the right direction. Yeah. And so hopefully it shows when it really matters, which is not this week, but it'd be great. Like Ohio, if Ohio State needs to go like 10 or 12 on third down, and yeah, that stat won't mean sure. anything, but it'll make me feel better in the moment. Like that's not going to yeah. mean anything when we play Michigan, but like I'll at least be happy about it. Yeah, so think about this. Ohio State's offensive line stuff rate is 14%, which is good for 18th. Uh, their power success rate so, – so, like, so offensive line stuff rate meaning how many plays they allowed to get stuffed? 
Yes. Uh, I, just, I feel like so, that makes my case that the offensive line really isn't that bad. It's the play calling. So that's, yes. that's where I got you. Power success rate, percentage of runs on third or fourth down, two yards or less to go that achieved a first down touchdown. So that's when the defense is like, you're going to run the ball, so we're going to load the box up. The offensive line's like, we know we're going to run the ball, so we got to blow you up. And Ohio State's underfit there. Yeah, so this is perfect. This is the conversation conversation we had before. We don't have to go as long because we talked about this for like 25 minutes. Here's my thing with this. I'm not going to make any excuses for the offensive line, but I've watched the game. And I watch the games all the time. And I'm going to use one play as an example. The one where where Mayan tried to bounce it. And it was like a huge collision in the middle. Northwestern did what no team does. They put two guys on the shoulder of the center. I'm pretty sure I need to remember this, and I'm really kind of upset that I I just keep messing it up. I'm fairly positive they were in two-eye alignment. Um, And so I'm going to Google it really quick to make sure. And this is uh, very much like very bad for me because I used to know all of my alignments and I want to get back into coaching football. And so um, I should remember this. This is a terrible article. Yeah, I'm really going to say it's 2i. And if I'm wrong, I don't care. It's 2i. I'm pretty sure. So 2i, for people that don't uh, know, is essentially the shoulder of the The guard. The guard. Inside the guard. Yeah. One Um, is the shoulder of the center off right. to either side. And yeah. in most cases, a four down front is three and one, which is inside shoulder of the the center and outside shoulder of the guard. They were both in the two eye, which both means they're inside shoulder of the guard in between the guard and the center. You do not run in the middle of a no. of an alignment that is too high. That makes absolutely no sense at all, ever. And we did because our play calling sucks, and it didn't work. And then on top of that, the the, the you know the running back uh, the running back ran outside, which is not what you're supposed to do. But it's just like. What I'm trying to say is when you look at an alignment, there are certain plays that run against certain alignments. When you have two players in the two eye and there's only four players at the line of scrimmage and the linebackers are inside as well, that is the perfect yeah. play. To, that is the perfect time to call Chris's least favorite play, which is the power awesome. pitch. Which would work because there's only one player outside the guard. So very quickly, down blocking is going inside of you. You get momentum because you're going down. If both of the linemen are inside of you and there's only one offensive lineman outside of you, that's the perfect time to call power because you already have leverage on them. You pull the guard to kick out the tackle and you have a bunch of space and the linebackers aren't where they're normally at because they're in the middle as well because they know you're going to run out the middle. That's yeah, the and they brought run the safeties down. So they got, that's a, that was also the hard part. They had eight people in the box. Yeah, like it's literally incredibly the, difficult for the offensive line to count up to. Like, yeah, like it's literally the perfect time to run off tackle and they didn't. So I, yeah, I know for, we kind of discussed this last week. Like Mayan is not he hasn't he's been hurt. He's been injured. It's very noticeable. And he's probably playing more because Travion's out. And if Travion wasn't out, he probably wouldn't be playing as much. Um, 
But, you know, that's how it's been this year. And I think when you go into a game strategically, that needs to be brought into consideration when your player's not at his best. And he wasn't, and you put him in multiple situations that week that made yeah. it bad. And we didn't see Dallin Hayden at all. No, and I really thought you just needed to get a change of pace in there last weekend just to see what it could look like running those plays. That Because Dallin is a little bit more Travion-like with his burst and his shiftiness. And I, I just think like Northwestern did some unconventional things. They did. And that's hard to adjust for. And when Ohio State did end up adjusting for him, C.J. Stroud started running the ball. Uh, Mine Williams started getting – the line started blocking that a lot better, those two-eye looks, those linebackers being over the guards. Because if you think about it, the issue with some of those plays was if a linebacker's lining up over the guard and the tackle's responsibility is to cut him off, that's never, ever going to happen. It doesn't it's matter not. if you have Orlando Pace or – Dewan Jones. It doesn't matter. It's not happening. Especially if you have Dewan Jones. Like, you also have to be able to coach to your players. Like, Paris Johnson's not going to do that well, but he's going to do it much better than Dewan Jones. And against a traditional alignment, like, yes, Dewan Jones can get his hands out there. But against an alignment that's cheating inside, he's not going to cut you off to the other side of the formation. You're not going to be able to do it. And I I think that's where you've seen Iowa – build that into their game plan you've seen Penn State build that into their game plan and you see Northwestern take it to an even further extreme because there's no chance Ohio State was throwing going that direction and it really took some conversations on the sideline and look at what happened once they were able to communicate about it and kind of do that and that's kind of what you hope this meeting was about like going over the zone steps and what you do if this guy lines up here like you know i mean the trash can drills offensive linemen do all the time you you need to know where your steps are you need to know what your steps are in every single alignment from each position player in every single zone run play and if that that seems like part of the issue it seems like the running backs aren't fully committing to the play like we talked about it last week. Brian needs to remember what got him to that five touchdown game against Rutgers, not what he's been since. And I don't know. I think it's a very, it's a very big potential game for Ohio state against a defensive line who struggled in situations similarly to Ohio state has the last three weeks. Yeah. And my thing is like, I understand I have some major flaws in my analysis and things like that, which is first of all, I don't know everything. Obviously nobody can. Um, But also I'm very biased on certain things and I don't like zone and I know exactly why they run zone. I don't think you should have a zone based offense. Um, Especially if you don't have a running back for it. And I'm not sure Ohio State has a run. I don't think either of our running backs are great at running zone. Um, yeah, honestly, Bell no, is great at running zone. Because, and for just, I feel like sometimes I should explain what I'm saying. Being, being great at running zone, first of all, it starts with great vision, but even more important than the vision, because you can see something and not be able to react to it. It takes a split second ability to be able to cut and get upfield the moment you find a hole. That is a unique trait. Uh, Kenneth Walker had it, um, you know. 
Like um, core, like core, like there, like it is an ability to see something, process it, process it immediately. Le'Veon Bell was great at it. Our running backs aren't that, but also zone. And this is you can you can consider this a flaw in players, and I will accept that zone is boring. It is boring to block for offensive linemen. Offensive linemen say this all the time. They want to run true run plays where they get to bury somebody. They get to fire off the ball. Um, and there's a place for zone. But in my opinion, you run zone on first down. You don't run it on third ever. Yeah. And it, it, there's definitely uh, it's it's definitely been game planned against. And I think like we said pre-show, there are run schemes that Ohio State has. You brought up the tackle or the toss power. Uh, pin and pull is a great one. It gets linemen moving and linemen love to get moving. Uh, Ohio and State pin and pull is a zone play, by the way. Yeah. And with that two eye look, a pin and pull takes uh it would take the left guard and get him coming across the formation. That would leave Whipler to block down, which, like you said, they love to down block offense alignment. And then you just watch those two inside zone guys down, and then you have a kick out. And, I mean, we're not geniuses. We're not offensive coordinators who are paid a lot of money. They should be seeing this type of stuff. And yeah. And there are going to be offensive coordinators who are much smarter than me who are going to tell me I'm stupid for not thinking you should run zone on certain plays. And, like, that's a very strong stance, and I don't really necessarily agree with that. But you have to be able to switch it up. And Ohio State, I I will clarify this, Ohio State should never run zone in short yardage. I don't think anyone should personally, especially in college – um and don't I'm not even gonna get into my rant of playing short yardage plays from the shotgun, which they do in the NFL. Literally irritates my entire soul to try to get one yard lined up at five yards. Yeah, and I'd and like to see accepting a handoff where you don't have any momentum because your first step is sideways. Yeah, I, I will say, uh, I just want, I, I, I said this before the show, Justin Fry, it's time to put your money where your mouth is. I know you're going to run zone on third down. The defense knows you're going to run third on the zone, either way, inside or outside or wide. And it's time to have your offensive line do what you wanted to do. Your daughter yeah. knows you're going to run zone. And, and I think yeah and I think the other thing with this that people don't understand um, and you should understand this like okay so I'm just going to equate this to Madden because Madden is like the perfect example of this when you're playing Madden and you're playing franchise you set your scheme right and when you play your scheme and you go into free agency they tell you if players match your scheme if you yeah. have if you choose a zone scheme they will tell you if a run if a if a linebacker, I don't know what I'm talking about now, if an offensive lineman matches a zone scheme. Zone offensive linemen are smaller, they're agile, and they're quick. They're not powerful. Ohio State does not have running offensive linemen who should be running zone. They do not have quick feet. 
Matt Jones does not have quick feet. He is not little. Juan Jones does not have quick feet. He is not little. I don't know enough about Luke Whipler, but I've watched him play, and I don't think he got quick feet either. The Centers only ones that have probably quick have quick feet are the left side of the Jackson line. And, yeah. and you can say, okay, we'll run zone to the left side of the line. You can't do that because in zone, the most important block in zone is cutting off the backside linebacker. And when Dewan Jones and Matt Jones, the Joneses, can't cut him off because they don't have quick feet. You get played. You get tackled in the backfield because they knife through. Ohio State does not have the offensive line to run zone. If they want to run zone, they should recruit different offensive linemen. But they're not going to do that because those offensive linemen don't win you a national championship. Run power to do our part is, you know, the best lineman can can do that. It's the guy who was getting them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just think like this. I'm going to get off this rant because I feel like I've been on it too long. Think about the the players that offense that Ohio State has. Uh, Donovan Jackson and Paris Johnson Jr. have very good feet. They're very quick. They're very good pullers. DeWan Jones and Matt Jones, the Joneses, are very strong, very big players, especially DeWan, very powerful. What is the best, and just thinking of those two, we're not going to talk about the center. The two best plays that you can run with the makeup of our offensive line and the style and, and and the differences in talent between the right and the left side is power and counter, because Power to the right, you get the two quote unquote weaker, bigger, weaker talent wise, less talented but stronger guys blocking down, and you get the agile, more talented, you know, whatever guys pulling either one of them or both of them, and that would that would be the perfect play for the build of our offensive line, especially with the strength and weaknesses on the right and the left as it is, and we don't do it. It's just dumb. So the offensive line is not as good as it should be, but I put more of it on play calling, if you can't tell, as I've been on this rant for like 15 minutes. Yeah, and you know, I, I just wish they, they were better, honestly. That's all I gotta say. I don't care how it gets done. Uh, I just think you're too talented of a football team not to be able to get a third and one against Northwestern. And that's that's where I end up at the end of the day. Yeah, and I won't, uh, I won't disagree with that at all. Um, yeah, let's go to a break real quick. We got a few more conversation topics before we get into some of the coaching talking points this week. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see you guys on the flip side here. Welcome back in, everybody. This is Christopher Rennie uh, with Land Grant Holy Land on another episode of the Buck Off Podcast. Here with Jordan Williams, a very impassioned show today. I, you know, that's the one thing I love about playing opponents like Indiana is it allows you to take a look at what in Indiana does, and then it lets us reflect on how Ohio State can attack it. And I, I think – Third down, it's going to be a big – It's it shouldn't be a challenge, but it, it feeling like a big challenge because the lack of success Ohio State's had the few weeks. Uh, yeah. 
but we also, hammered that conversation. Yeah, we hammered that conversation. Yeah. What's up? And th- this is why you listen to Buck Off Podcast, because what, what other podcast is going to go on a 10-minute rant about offensive line and defensive line alignments and be impassionate about it? Like, you know, you're, you're not getting that anywhere else. This is, this is why you come here. You come for the jokes. You come for the anger. Uh, and, and maybe occasionally you learn something every once in a while. Yeah, every once in a while we say something smart. And I think that would be the tagline for this show if I had one. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think the next thing I want to talk about CJ Stroud. You know, I, we've talked about this before, but CJ Stroud's had very few bad games. Um, I wanted to kind of. I've been getting a lot of emails. Uh, I, I, I've done this on, like, what, three straight shows. I'm an FWA member, and uh, teams keep emailing me about their All-American candidates, their Heisman candidates, and, you know, it's the SIDs doing their job, getting their information out there to people like me who had their mind made up. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a Heisman voter, but I want to talk about Stroud's Heisman campaign. Uh, he's got a bounce-back opportunity this week. He's got a great opportunity against Maryland, who also doesn't have a great defense to put up some huge stats. And then he has two primetime matchups with Michigan and Illinois, potentially. I don't know if it's Illinois anymore, but it was supposed to be. Uh, I He's still the betting favorite, uh, and I, I brought up bounce-back performances. I've got some notes here I put in uh, – I, I was kind of going through this today, and I had to write it down. Uh, he – where's the spreadsheet? I, I accidentally closed it out, guys. I'm sorry. Bad podcasting. Uh, bad podcasting here. But he, he's bounced back incredibly well. And I think you and I have talked about this before. Every bad performance he's had, he's come back with a greater performance. Last week he threw for the lowest yards in his career, 10 of 26. Uh, and a lot of people actually wrote about how that doesn't mean he's dead in the Heisman yet. Uh, last year, uh, let's start there. Tulsa, we all remember it. People call him for his jobs. How did you respond in that one? Five touchdowns against Rutgers, 300 yards, six completions. Uh also that year, Nebraska, two picks. Uh, what did he do the next week? Five touchdowns, zero picks, 361 yards out of the game at halftime. Uh, and then this year, uh, he had a rough performance earlier in the year. Rutgers, 13 to 22, 154 yards, two touchdowns, a pick. What did he do the next week? Michigan State, six touchdowns. What, five of them were in the first half? Uh, so if I'm Indiana, I'm very scared for my life right now. As if I'm should be. And the one thing I'll add to it is this isn't just a bounce back game for CJ Stroud. Julian Fleming had eight targets, one catch. Emeka Buka did not have a very great game catching the football. Uh, Marvin Harris touchdown. Just wide yeah, open, just boom. Easy touchdown. Uh, tip drill, or not tip drill, you know, late hand drill. Uh, but. It's a big – I just wanted to see – I wanted to get your – like a heat check here. How are you feeling about his campaign at this point? I mean, at the end of the day, the thing that helped his campaign is being the quarterback at Ohio State and the fact that nobody in the world wants to be the person that gives someone a second Heisman. And that is unfair to Bryce Young, but I've been saying that all summer. There has been one person – 
ever in all of history who has won two Heisman, uh, two Heismans. They do not want to give another person two Heismans. They don't. And if they do, it's probably going to be they win one, they lose one, they win one. They win it their freshman year, lose their sophomore year, win it their junior year. It's not going to be back-to-back. That has nothing to do about C.J. Stroud, but I, yeah. I, I just knew it was going to happen. So that's start one. Start two. He was a Heisman runner-up. He's a quarterback at Ohio State. People don't watch football. That's going to help. And then up until this last week, because he didn't throw a, a touchdown, he led the he led the country in touchdowns um, by a decent margin on a lot of them. And so all the things are there. All the check boxes are there. And then the only yeah. thing he doesn't have is the quote-unquote Heisman moment. But the person that had the Heisman moment lost – Played bad in that loss, embarrassing performance, and then their "quote unquote" Heisman moment is lessened because the team it happened to has two losses. So yeah, all of and that, Daniels just had the equal Heisman moment against Alabama. So it's like I, honestly right. the better Heisman moment if we're going to talk about it. Yeah, um, so, I, I, I'm with you. I think he's in a good place. His competition right now, I'd say stiffest, is Drake May at North Carolina because he's just putting up absurd stats. But I don't think you'll have enough in the ACC. Uh, and I think he has uh, – he, he's coming on a little too late. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and Stroud has – all eyes are going to be on Stroud this weekend to see how he responds to that Northwestern game. So I think that helps him out a little bit too. Yeah. I, I think the person that if, if they did it today that could possibly win it or maybe even should win it is Bo Nix. And they're not giving it to Bo Nix. Whether he yeah. deserves it or not, they're not giving it to him. But also Oregon's going to lose another game before the season's over. 40, so it doesn't matter. 39-3 kind of lost Bo Nix his Heisman. Yeah. He's been playing spectacular, though. He's but. been awesome. Yeah, it's just I I don't know. It's it's going to be like that's the hardest thing for Oregon in general is that that first game. Yeah, but they're also going to lose again, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, they're going to lose again. I think I don't think a Pac-12 team finishes with one loss this year. That's a bold prediction. I'm <laughs> proclaiming November 10th. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to get that out there. I I, I think. I don't think anyone has it built into their schedule better than an Ohio State quarterback, honestly. Besides no, because, possibly an Alabama quarterback. Yeah, and Bryce Young is not going to get it. He also hasn't been playing great this year, um, partially because he's the 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 Messiah, the yeah. Savior, the everything for Alabama. Um, and we don't have to get into Alabama right now, but I'd just like to say we were right. You know, uh, I don't know we if were? you listen. I don't know if you listen to. Um, I don't know if you listen to I-70 or if anyone on here listens to I-70, but I literally spelled out the demise of Alabama and I compared it to Ohio State last year. And that's exactly what happened. And I was trying to tell Dante, who's an Alabama fan, I can tell you what Alabama season is going to be because I we I just watched it with Ohio State. I just watched it. They got too friendly with co- with uh, with coordinators, hiring friends, and they won't fire them. Players haven't worked out in, in key positions. Um, they 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 not great at they're not great at wide receiver. Although that's not the thing that happened with us. That was an Alabama specific thing. They're not great at wide receiver. Uh, not great of their, line. Yeah, their offensive line is not as good as they want to be. They haven't restarted. I was like, all of these things is exactly what happened to Ohio State. I was like, when one of the things that showcased when Ohio State started to fall down is nobody wanted to hire their offense and defensive coordinator. 
And when nobody yeah. wants to hire your offensive defensive coordinator, it's because they're not good. Nobody <laughs> wants Pete Golding. And Alabama is doing everything it can to sell Bill O'Brien, and they do not want him either. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think- it's, it's, it's wild, man. Uh, I think we were both on Alabama not being a great team like, after the Texas game. I was on and it before we were, going into the season. You could we were proven very right. I, I thought Texas was going to beat them, and then Quinn Ewers broke his collarbone. Like, and, and they absolutely would have beat them. Alabama I think should have three four losses. Were they? Yeah. So, yeah. If teams just, like, got over the fact that it was Alabama, Alabama could have three or four losses. Yeah, and then when, uh, when Quinn Ewers uncorked that, like, 65-yard throw to Xavier Worthy, I'm like, oh, God, they're cooked. Like, Alabama's going to be cooked today. Yeah. But so, then Sark got scared. Sark coaches scared so often. He does. But the, the absolute best thing for C.J. Stroud is the Michigan game is the last game of the season. Because let's be honest, the Heisman is won last game of the season or, like, towards the end. The Heisman, I'll just put it this way to be yeah. more succinct. The Heisman is won in November. You either win it like Lamar or Johnny Manziel with just these incredible moments throughout the season on, like, an average team, or you're leading a great team, and then you just have that swan song moment heading into the offseason or heading into that break. And as annoying as it is, people saying it's fool's gold because they're not that good. People saying that Michigan's the better team, the more complete team, that kind of stuff. If Stroud goes out 350, four tutties, Heisman him. It's, yeah, he's he's, he's going to win the Heisman. So honestly, two fifty-two touchdowns. He's probably going to win the Heisman. Yeah, but it, yeah, if it's if it's the four tutties, it's over. Yeah, landslide at that point. Uh, all right, yeah. And then uh, the last thing I have can the defense line have a big day? Uh, Indiana seventy-eighth in sack percentage on dropbacks at seven percent. Ohio State's in the top twenty in sack conversion at eight percent on dropbacks. So. Define a good good day. Like, do you just Uh, mean like, do you mean good? uh, So they drop back 35 times. They're going to drop back 40 times. So what is 8% of that? Five. Five? All right. Yeah, that's good. Good math there. Uh, Yeah, five stacks. I'd say that's a good day. Okay. So... I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you only Unless because, there's like some pass breakups and stuff too. Yeah, I'm gonna challenge you only because it's fun. I I you're asking about good numbers because this defensive line has had a good day for like nine games straight, whether they had yeah. good numbers or not. Uh they were bullying Northwestern. Yeah, uh, they and it's hard for a defensive line to have like an exceptional day when it's a run game, but they did. They yeah. did. Yeah, I know, think like, I'm not even going to get into the fact that JT nobody set the edge. Had um, a pick six on like the third play of the game. Yeah, and I don't want. I want to. I want to know how different the game would have felt if that happened. That's been crazy, but yeah, I won't even get into the fact that nobody set the edge on this team, and the way I, this is the most frustrating thing about Jim Knowles, but he's so much smarter than me, so I'll let him have it. He expects his safeties and linebackers to set the edge instead yeah. of his defensive linemen, which is so frustrating. And then he was playing four of them, and they just didn't set the edge because they don't play often, and it was just disgusting. Yeah, when uh, Pallier started playing in a more significant role against Northwestern, uh, the team, because they got a bigger body setting the edge against a team that was using a lot of heavy personnel, it it started paying quite a bit of dividend. 
looks for him. Uh, Cody Simon is not Pallier, not Teote. No. Uh, he is not built that same type of linebacker. He is much more from the cloth of a steel chambers than a also, Tommy Eichenberg or Pallier. suck. Like, they are so bad. He cannot. Uh, he's definitely a point-and-shoot type of linebacker where he's just going to do exactly what he's told. Yeah, like, I understand that, like, I, I don't have the athleticism I used to have, nor do I have the Ohio State level. But if you put me in a camp setting and you asked me to read the, my keys and, like, fill the right gap, to this day, I think I could do it. I, I could get a 90 out of 100, if not better. It is not hard to read your keys. I could teach anyone on this earth, and I'm super confident on this, how to read offensive lineman keys at a linebacker because there's only, like, freaking four of them. Yeah, and he is so bad at it. It is frustrating. He literally watched the offensive tackle and the guard down block and beat them inside, like literally beat them inside and turned his shoulder. They weren't even trying to down block him because he was outside of them. He was fast. He beat them inside, and the tackle was like, "Oh, you're here. I'll just push you down." Like, what? I'm not gonna get onto another yeah. rant. I've already had my rants for today. I've reached the rant limit. Y'all don't want to hear me rant. But yeah, not good. His eyes are terrible. Yeah, and I just think it's definitely something. uh, I even forgot how it got here. Where you match personnel. Simon is not Palliate Note Note. He's more like Steel Chambers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Steel Chambers also does not read his keys all that well. No, he's better, but not great. Yeah, and that's where Pallier made such a huge difference in that. Because, like you were saying, uh, how I the amount of times early in the game where Tanner McAllister was setting the edge and then just getting blown off the edge was not good. He's just not – when you're playing against bigger personnel, like, yes, he could take on a tight end like two, three times, you know, but when you're taking on pulling tackles – guys of that size because they had an extra they did the Josh Fryer thing they had a tackle playing tight end to get numbers and that is not a good matchup for a guy like Tanner McAllister no not at all so it, it's something that I, I get where you're like I, I don't always like what Jim Knowles is doing not because it mostly because of lack of understanding not because I don't actually like it but I'm like man this I don't is even, crazy stuff I don't even think it's a lack of understanding I think you know what's going on it's just different like it's not unconventional. Like it work, yeah it's unconventional and it works in a lot of cases I just don't like it and I guess the lack of yeah. understanding is like I don't know why he prefers that method that would be yeah. interesting I'd love to know why he prefers well, it yeah but and like, I, I will check ourselves right now. We saw conventional last year and the year before. And I don't yeah, want to go back to that. Yeah, and that, so like I'm that's why I said like this is just a personal thing. He's much smarter than us. I'm I'm not going, you know, like if that's the only thing I don't like, it gets the job done. Yeah. But I think and when it is play, also different when it's Ronnie Hickman or Lathan Ransom or Josh Proctor setting the edge versus Tanner McAllister. Absolutely. <laughs> like, and and that's the problem sometimes with it. Uh, so, And that's what happens when, like, a team changes strengths. You can't really move the safety all the way across the formation. Mm-mm. And that's something I do like about Knowles' defense is the safeties aren't interchangeable on every play, but a lot of the time they could step into that role for a player, too, if yeah. needed. And it just makes it makes the it makes the defense right. Like even when it's yeah. wrong, it makes the defense right. If you get stuck in that too much, you're gonna have a problem. But on a snap by snap basis, you can make the defense right when things happen, especially with tempo, and that's when it's most important. 
Yeah, for sure. All right, so you want to get into what the coaches were saying this week? Sure. Uh, I got a few. I don't think we need to get in too too deep with all of these. Uh, Ryan Day uh, talked about players stepping up. It was about the players for those guys to find a way to win like that was a good experience for them. He all, he, everyone keeps highlighting CJ. He's like, CJ had to use his legs. It was great to see him make those plays. They were explosive plays, and explosive might not be the word I use, but they were big games. I mean, it, you know, like we said on the instant recap show, you got to win your clunkers. You got to find ways to win those. And we hadn't really had to see Ohio State truly with their back against the wall, hands cut off. Like, that's basically what it was with them not being able to throw. They did not have any hands. Basically. And they found a way to win a football game. And I Uh, I thought it was interesting how Ryan Day put it. CJ Scissorhands. CJ Scissorhands. (laughs) Love to see him catch a football. Yeah, CJ Scissorhands. I'm sticking with it. That's that's my joke. Yeah, yeah next, uh, a day kind of built on that, saying Ohio State really had to swallow their pride in how they had to beat Northwestern. Again, what they had to do. Because we saw it, and friend of the show, Bill Landis, tweeted it. Uh, Ohio State got stuffed on third and one, and they had the wind at their back, and they threw the ball. I want to say it was nine consecutive times, including the little pop pass. that didn't work, and... They had like Day wants to throw the football. He's talked multiple times. He likes to run to set up the throw. He likes to throw to set up the run. And having to go away from that is the epitome of swallowing pride. And I was actually pretty happy to see that they were able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I again I say this all the time. When you criticize, you have to be willing to give credit. And I am going to give Ryan Day credit for for doing some things he does not like to do. And I think CJ Stroud's quotes after the game are very and Ryan Day admitted it too. CJ doesn't run because Ryan doesn't want him to run. And uh CJ mentioned that he wishes he could run more. He was like he was like like people would probably like me if I ran more. I'm willing to do whatever it takes for the team, but I do. Like, it, I do what Coach Day calls, and I've mentioned multiple times that not every run play is a zone read, just like not Most every run play is an RPO. Like it may look like that, but it's not actually yeah. called. You cannot pull it on every single play. Like That's just not how football works. That's not how play calls work. And so this is not the press conference thing, but I think that this is an important thing to talk about in coaches' quotes and swallowing your pride. They swallowed his pride, and he adjusted and he let CJ run, which he is very much against, and it helped. So I will give him yeah. credit for that. Yeah. And he kept trusting Emeka to take the ball, even when he wasn't catching it. He found other ways to get him involved. Uh, I wish that orbit sweep they ran to Mayan actually went to a Mecca and Puga because it probably would have been a touchdown. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to comment on that. But I, I did love I did love the play call. Even with Mayan getting him downhill as he gets the ball is nice. But man, I I that's probably my favorite play Ryan Day's ever called. Right? And he's called all these cool days. running plays go to Mayan, and it's like I love Mayan, but like, could we? Can we, can we get that to Travion? Like, we get this would look so cool. different if you put in a different running. Like, why does Mayan get all the creative running plays? That is not his thing. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, what else he say? On the running backs, this week, he wants to get those guys some reps, and by those guys, he wants to get Dallin Hayden reps. He wants to get Chip Cranham reps in the game, and I think the closest of the game limited that. Uh, I, I want to see it, man. Whatever. I, I think, yeah, so I just – we both disagree with that. I think you needed to see extra running backs just because at times mine didn't have any juice, but I, I just think – that, that, to me, is not a good sign for Travion playing this week. Uh, but it also might be a good sign for Travion playing this week. I don't know how to take it, but I, two weeks in a row he said that. Are we going to have to call Ryan Day a liar again? I'm going to call him a liar because I don't think he means it. I think he wants it, but I don't think he means it. Yeah. I, I just – I don't know how you watch that game and don't give, like, mine a breather or anything like that. Like, so. It was in, an incredibly slow pace of play game, and Northwestern did hold the ball for quite a bit of time. So, maybe you want to keep Mayan getting reps because you feel like he got rested. But I just don't agree with that. I do feel like even on a game where it's like that, if Travion was playing and – he was in that same situation. I'd still want to see some Mayan Williams to get a different look. It's really just the change of the pace, you know, at, at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. And I don't think that um, that one can't be that bad. You know what I mean? Like, I, like he can't he be that bad. He was good early in the year. Maybe he's banged up. I don't know, man. I don't know anymore. He doesn't talk about injuries. Uh the next one, Tiger Games, Jesse Murko is a weapon for us. And I, I think having a great punter is so underrated because there are not a lot of human beings on the planet who could punt a ball 56 yards with the wind at their back and place it at the, like, four-yard line out of bounds. Yeah. I mean, that was just gorgeous. And that set up a touchdown, and he had two other punts like that that set up touchdowns. So, uh he had that one into the wind that just basically hit the ground and stopped on the 10-yard line, and that one was incredible. It was a good game for him. And, you know, Cam Johnson's having great success in the NFL. Maybe Mirko's next, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, who does Cam Johnson play for? The Texans, so he plays okay. that. You're right. He's uh, he's getting a lot of experience. Uh, tired leg syndrome, I heard. Uh Knowles defensive mindset. Uh, this was Jim Knowles' presser. I didn't. I didn't put any Kevin Wilson things in there. Uh, he, he's basically just saying the same things as Ryan Day. Uh, Knowles said, "We want to stop every team on every possession of every game. I do not believe that you can somehow call it out of existence if you haven't done it over and over again when time comes." The way we play has got to be an everyday, every game thing where you expect to stop them, you compete to stop them in that series because when the time comes that you need it, that's all you'll know. So basically the last part is the most important thing to me. Uh, every game, every day, you need to want to stop that person across from you because when you actually need to do it, that's all you're going to know to surmise that. And I just want this mindset to be on the offense as well because in a short yardage situation when you need it will you get it and that's where i think ohio state has succeeded defensively more than the offense is in the moments you need it most yeah i would definitely agree with that 
And that's like him saying that, him explaining that. It just shows the mindset of the defense is we want to win every play. We want to win every series. And sometimes, you know, you're going to make a call. And Jim Knowles has said this himself. He's going to make a call that's a gamble. And sometimes the team is going to execute well against them. And that's going to happen. But it's when it matters most and when it works that you're celebrating. And that's the thing, like, as it may be too, it may be bad podcasting to look this up, but I would love to know Ohio State's defensive statistics for allowing touchdowns because I don't think we allow a lot of touchdowns, like in the red zone, like our red zone percentage. This team really like bucks up when it needs to. Yeah, absolutely. They give up quite a few field goals, but not a lot of touchdowns. And field goals don't win games. Yeah, and then looking at the defensive line stats, I I believe that's like those short yardage stats we were talking about for Ohio State and Indiana. I think Ohio State's defense does incredibly well in that uh, in the power success rate stat. Uh, they're in the top ten in that. Uh, actually, they're eleventh now after that week, and they're twentieth in stuff rate. And I believe they have a really good stop rate. Uh, which is that other stat we like to talk about? I think yeah. the top ten stop rate. And stop so, rate is and it's a new it's new, but I do think it is one of the better statistics out there. Yeah, and it, it, I'm pretty sure they're top five in stop rate actually. So they're good there, and that just shows the mindset Jim Knowles is approaching with. So uh, next on the list uh, with Jim Knowles. The best thing about last week was they were 4-4 four, uh, four, four on fourth down, which is like four turnovers. And, you know, I really do think that was where the tides turned against Northwestern was them not being able to pick up those fourth and shorts. Yeah. Um, definitely, I would agree 100%. And that's why I say, like, this defense, like they, like Jim Knowles said, it's about uh, stepping up when you're needed. Um, you st- you want to stop him every single play, every single possession. He calls the games like that. Um, and this team is very good in clutch moments. And that's why, despite, you know, all of the bad things people are saying, that's why I still believe that this team can beat Michigan. And that's why I still believe this team can win a national championship because other Unlike years like the 2019 Clemson, I'm not sure this defense gives up a touchdown when they need to get a stop. I'm just not yeah, sure if that where, happens. That's where it's big. That's where I think a lot of people are kind of looking at this defense as I think a lot of people who don't watch Ohio State every week are still looking at it with that kind of mindset that, oh, how improved is Ohio State's defense from last year? It's an entirely different defense. And I don't think a lot of people who don't watch Ohio State on a weekly basis realize that. Like, their weaknesses aren't the short yardage run game. Their weaknesses aren't, like, keeping that outside run from happening. Like, Tommy Eichenberg's an eraser basically left to right. And the safeties are erasing basically the entire middle of the field. The only glaring weakness Ohio State's defense has right now is the corner play. And last week was almost impossible to evaluate. But they've been better. I'm not even sure that's a – it is a weakness, but I don't even know if I can call it a um, a glaring weakness anymore. Denzel Burke has played good for five or six straight games. Yeah. Uh, and, it, like, J.K. Johnson wasn't a great tackler. What freshman corner is – yeah, I mean, and that's, he struggled against Northwestern tackling. So, like, that, that was he was just in a bad position there. And it's not, you know, 
I mean, it's not something to scoff at. We definitely need to get better. But like, listen, you know, I yeah, think that honestly, after the bye week, Denzel Burke probably got the rest he needed, was able to get fully healthy and came out and played really good football back to back weeks before that Northwestern game. Which, like we said, you can't really even judge that game from a passing standpoint. Yeah, and the stuff that was going on was just not like him. I'm, I don't know that I, – I still don't know that he's at the level he was um, yeah. last year, but he is uh, much better. So much better than he was at the beginning, and that is something that I will accept. Still need Cam Brown to get back. Still need to see more Jordan Hancock. And if those guys can come back and play healthy – football i i don't think it's a, a, a weakness at that point uh all right you want to get into some national conversations to close out the show of course all right uh let's start with the lightning rod tcu's ranked in the top four um, do you feel like they deserve to be in the top four at this point yes because they're undefeated like, at the end of the day, they're undefeated. And which one-loss team are you for sure is better than them? I mean, like, I know who I would pick in a game, and I understand that that matters at a certain point. But I do think you need to respect teams for being undefeated. And so, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I absolutely uh, agree with I, – I think TCU's the fourth-best team right now, not based on, like, actual talent, like you said. Their resume is pretty good. They've played a lot of good football teams. And the Pac-12's kind of done the whole uh, – or the Big 12's done the whole Pac-12 thing. That's why I got confused there, where they've eaten each other alive. There's a lot of cannibalistic tendencies with that conference now. And TCU's risen above it on a week-to-week basis. Uh, do I think they're going to lose to Texas this week? Yes, I do. I think Texas is going to beat them. Uh, but I said that before with this TCU team, and they've come back in the second half and won football games. Uh, they're a fun team to watch if you like tight wiring acts. Yeah, I personally don't, but like. I, as an outside observer, it has been pretty fun to watch TCU play football this year. Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing, like, Oklahoma's gotten in multiple times. And are you telling me that this TCU team is not better than some of those Oklahoma teams that got in? I do not. I, I actually think Max Dugan is playing a very underrated high-level quarterbacking right now. Like, uh, obviously, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, like, Hendon Hooker have owned the conversations this year. Bo Nix is starting to come on hot. But I think Dugan's played just as consistently as Bo Nix. Yeah. Um, oh, this is super weird. Okay, so I'm going back to something that we talked about beforehand. Uh, just because I don't believe in just saying statistics that help you. So Ohio State is tied for 90th in the country and red zone defense. But here's the thing. They've had 15 opponent red zone attempts. It's four touchdowns, four passing touchdowns, four rushing, four passing, five field goals made. So uh, 13 out of 15 trips opponents have scored eight touchdowns to five field goals. But here's the thing that's interesting and why stats can lie to you. These are the teams. So I'm going to, uh, okay, so 15. I'm going to go to number one. The These are the top five teams. 
UCF, 36 opponent red zone attempts. San Diego State, 30 opponent red zone attempts. Georgia, 17. San Jose State is 23. Louisville is 33. Texas A&M is tied for five at 36. So Ohio State lets teams score, but they don't let them get to the red zone. Yeah, so I was like, true. I was looking for them, and I was like, man, what? Why can I find them? Like, th- I see 37, 35, 33, 42, 31, 39, 36, 39, 35, 40, 41. Like all of these teams who are better, but it's like you can allow less touchdowns when you give up more chances. So not every stat works. I just want to throw that out there because a lot of people only use stats that benefit their argument, and this one does not benefit my argument necessarily of them being really good because they do let people. Score score when they get down there, but they don't want to get down there. In nine games, they've had five, 15 red zone attempts. That's less than one a game that they're letting people get in the red zone on them. I can think of like four of the touchdowns offhand and the teams that they played never got back down there. Like Notre Dame never got back down there. Yeah. Uh, One of them was Penn State where it took them like 15 plays to score and multiple did, yeah. and multiple penalties. And there was a penalty on that drive, yeah, that kept it going. Uh, who else? Uh, yeah, like and then uh, Penn State actually didn't have a bad day in the red zone against Ohio State. No, Penn State's probably I, most of that. The, I think yeah. they had three touchdowns in the yeah. red zone. They had a pretty good day, uh, but they had to work for it. Yeah. And that's the thing. Um, yeah, so I agree. The red zone – the red zone stat's weird to me. I, I think field goals and giving those up. But you're right, 15 versus uh, – it's crazy. It, it, it is crazy to only give up 15 in nine games. Yeah, but that's also why stop rate is the superior stat. And I don't think it, he's yeah. updated it yeah. recently now that we're nine games in, and I really need him to. Um, yeah, and Georgia being in the top five with 17 is pretty impressive, honestly. Yeah, that, that does worry me if we were to play them. That does yeah. worry me. Ohio State scoring 98% of trips, so. That, yeah, that that is Just that is the absolute definition of good on good. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, Pac-12's chances to make the playoff. I don't think we're on. I don't think we think they make the playoff. I don't think either of us do. Hmm. Yeah. yeah well, hmm. we both don't think Oregon wins out. I said it earlier, my poll prediction, the conference doesn't finish with, I honestly think Notre Dame beats USC. It wouldn't surprise me. So even if they do win the Pac-12, they're not getting in with two losses. Ohio State is third in stop rate at 79%. Yeah, so they're cooking. But the they're, bad thing. Michigan's two, I think. No, they're one. They might be one now, yeah. At 83%. But also, Michigan stats are skewed because. Not, they, not, had UConn, they had UConn, uh, Colorado State, and Hawaii in there. Yeah, so they're just skewed a little bit. Uh, I don't know if I've already said this on here. I may have. I sent stop rate to my friend a couple weeks ago, and I was like, look at how good the Big Ten teams are. And the bias is crazy. He was like, oh, well, the Big Ten doesn't have any good offenses, so they're not actually any good defenses. And I was like, yeah, sure. That explains why four or five of the top ten teams are Big Ten teams. Michigan, Illinois, and Ohio State are one through three, and then Iowa is eight. So four of the top ten, three of the top five are 
I was eight with Ohio State putting up 52 points on them. Yeah. Crazy. So that's crazy. That is nuts. I didn't even put that together. That's and nuts. That's like acting. That's acting like the SEC has got these overpowering. Like, yeah, Jimbo Fisher's team. I don't think they've scored 24 points or more in a million games. Year and a half now. Yeah, it's it's longer than a year and a half now. So, uh, like, you just go down Missouri's offense, elite, right? Uh, Florida's offense with Anthony <laughs> Richardson, incredibly consistent. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> you've got team in Georgia, really, at this point. Mentioning Missouri, it's making me laugh. So, college football nerds, who are some of the biggest SEC homers in the world, they were like, oh, the difference between saying the Big Ten plays nine games uh, and saying the SEC plays nine games, and this is their example. When Ohio State went when the Big Ten went to Ohio State to nine games. Ohio State added Maryland and Rutgers. You're asking the SEC to add a ninth game against Texas A&M, and I'm like, hmm. I think it's interesting that you just forgot that Missouri and Vanderbilt are in the conference and would be the comparison to Rutgers, yeah. but not to Maryland because Maryland is better than both of them. So, yeah, it's just interesting how you chose Texas A&M, yeah. who is also a bad team and also would not be good in the Big Ten if we're going to talk about it because they're just a bad team. You chose them, who is still somehow in like the upper half of the SEC and chose the two teams that you thought were the bottom of the Big Ten, ignoring yeah. the fact that South Carolina exists, Vanderbilt exists, Missouri ex- exists. Like, all of these conferences have really bad teams. Yeah, I mean, Mississippi State and Arkansas exist. Like, yeah, uh, I, I just I – don't, I don't know what we're doing here. It, it's incredible. Like, yeah, and guess what? You saw what happens when Ohio State has to play a ninth conference game against Northwestern. You have a bad day. Yeah. Because that ninth, just, that ninth conference game isn't against insert FCS opponent here. Better, not, it's better than playing the Citadel. And honestly, is I don't know about this year, but like, are we sure Northwestern wouldn't be Vanderbilt? It'd be a good game. I, I think they should play every year, regardless of record, like as a bowl game. Are they in the same state? Are you just mm-hmm. saying that? I think no. Because no, Vanderbilt's in Tennessee. Okay, I'm stupid. Yeah, we're gonna I, I ignore this. Do that. Like, <laughs> if they both are under 500 and don't make a bowl game, they should just have a nerd school classic. <laughs> I'm I'm so mad at myself for saying I'm in the same state. Vanderbilt's definitely in Tennessee. That uh, that was dumb. Um, but yeah, I'm with the nerd school classic. You could honestly do like a four team tournament. Honestly, put Stanford in there. Uh, Got to find one from the south. Oh wait, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, they don't have any, they don't have any smart schools down there. Except hey, Vanderbilt. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, it is a smart school, but that's because it's a rich school. Yeah, throw Georgia Tech in there. They're they're kind of smart. Yeah, they could be in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Honestly, we could probably get a sixteen team tournament with this. That'd be fun. Uh, Give them something to play for. It'd be better that you get the G5 tournament, you get a nerd school tournament, and then you get the the big boy schools. The yeah. Big boy football schools. I don't want to call them not big boy schools. The big boy football schools. 
for sure. Which in turn are all big, giant state schools. So I guess it still stands. Absolutely. This is not on here for the national thing. So I'm just going to make this very, very quickly. But we talked about the playoff. So I was listening to Annie Staples show with Ari Washman and things like this about the 12 team playoff. And this is just what I have to say very quickly. I don't understand why people are mad about the 12 team playoff because college football is the only sport on this entire earth ever any level where perfection is required yeah the Bengals were not perfect and everyone talks about how amazing a story it was that they got to the Super Bowl Watch them get to the Super Bowl but in college football people are complaining because Alabama lost two games and they still made they still have a chance to get into a 12 team playoff and it's like first of all you get better games but secondly a redemption story is in my opinion a redemption story yeah. is much better than an yeah. undefeated season where you've been dominant forever you lose a game you get another chance you get these better games all this other kind of stuff. I and I, I don't know it's if I funny. said this. The redemption story aspect, like the only reason people would be mad about it is because the redemption story would be Ohio State or Alabama. But they were going to win anyway. Yeah, and, and this way you're making the you're, you're making the playoff harder because well, you've got new conference champions, and then you also still get your blue bloods in there. Yeah, because right now winning the national championship is so much easier than it would be over the twelve team playoff. Because if you're the number one seed, you play a team that you're gonna dominate. It's gonna be just bad, and then the two and three literally bludgeon each other, and so that's a slightly easier game. Now everyone's gonna be bloody. The games are going to be funner. They're going to be, even if it's the same team, Ohio State, Bama, whoever, they're going to have to work so much harder to win. Yeah, but also, my biggest thing is, I, I don't know if I've said this on here before or if it was on another podcast. These kids are literally kids because Ohio State, Georgia, all these teams, they're playing kids because they don't stay that long. You're expecting 18, 19, and 20 year olds to go perfect. Life's not fair, yeah, but that's unfair. Sure. Like, 20 year old, like 19 year olds have a bad game. Like they do, they do. They have a bad game. They do something stupid. Like, and you're expecting them to be perfect in every aspect all the time. And I just think that that is so frustrating for me personally, because it is not a realistic standard. And why can fucking 50 year old Tom Brady lose six games and make the playoffs, but still win, but still win a freaking Super Bowl and people talk about it, but a freaking 18 year old can't lose a game. Yeah, it, it it would give Tennessee a shot. It would give Alabama a shot. It would give USC, Oregon, so many yeah. other people a shot to like that Oregon game. Yes, like at the beginning of the season, everyone wrote them off because. They can't lose 49-3, but could you imagine the story of Oregon rebounding, getting into the playoff, getting Georgia in the second round, and then beating them? That would, that would be, be one of the best stories literally. in sports. And I don't know if the I don't know if the bracket like matches for something like that to happen, but that would be so fun to see that. And everyone hates rematches, and it's like, no, no, no. We don't hate rematches. We hate rematches in back-to-back weeks. Yeah, but everyone loved the Kansas City Bills rematch when they or was it the rant, whatever rematch it was of a great game. And no, it was the Bills. They played a great game in the regular season and then they rematched in the playoffs. Everyone also liked the Kansas City Rams rematch. Like if there's some time between them, it's totally fine. Like it's totally fine. We yeah, just don't want to see it in back to back weeks. But it's just it's like all timing. It's that's like it would suck to watch a Georgia Alabama. It, like it sucked. Yeah, uh, but it was a great football game, and that's like 
what I think people forget, if that game happened in week six and then they had a rematch, I think it would be yeah, because because you have time to make the team different. But ultimately, I work in higher education. I work in colleges. I talk to 18 year olds all day. Like that is my job. I talk to 18 year olds all day and I understand D1 athletes are slightly different because they have to mature a little bit. And, you know, the NFL, all these other kinds of these things and the regiments and stuff. But I talk to 18 year olds all day. And expecting them to be perfect in every aspect of their life, never miss a class, never miss a game, never miss an assignment, do all their homework, all this other kind of stuff. It's really just not real realistic. And giving them another chance to do something that is gonna that they're gonna benefit for the rest of their life is amazing. And also, it's just like when you talk about it like that, it just diminishes everything else. Like I say this yeah. all the time because it's true. Are you gonna tell me that Kent State going to their first bowl game two years ago didn't matter because they didn't make it to the playoffs? Are you gonna tell me that? Kent State got blew out by Northern Illinois last year. I was there in Detroit in the MAC championship game. But you're telling me that that game getting there didn't matter to them because they didn't make it to the playoffs? Are you telling me that TCU making it to the playoffs and getting blown out isn't going to be a story that they're going to tell their grandkids? It doesn't. The outcome of the game doesn't matter. Letting them go and getting that treatment and... I know for a fact I've said this before because we've talked about it. When you go to bowl games, you go to the playoffs, you get PlayStations, you get gift cards, you get new clothes and all of these kind of things that people don't care about. But it is so much about the experience more than anything else. And letting these kids, because they are literally kids, experience this is huge. Yeah, I'll be honest. In in the CCCAA, the California Community College Athletic Association. They had some sweet prizes for us at the at the bowl game we played in that was part of the playoff system. Like it's, it's gonna, a fun experience. Yeah. It, it means a lot. And you know it's gonna take four or five years for them to get there because they can't sell PS5. They can't make PS5. But a couple of years ago, every Ohio State player got a PS4 at the PlayStation hey. like Fiesta Bowl. Like, what do you like that is so cool? What are you talking about? If someone offered you a free PS4, you're just taking it to take it anyways like it's still cool even if they yeah even with the ps5 out if they give you a ps4 they, like there's so many cool prizes and things like the mid-american conference yeah. they go to freaking jamaica and they and you need a passport a lot of times to go to jamaica so not only are they going there their school is paying for them to have a passport that they can use for the rest of their life because of a bowl game that they made it to like stop yeah. playing with me like i just don't think people view it the right way yeah, I think national writers definitely view the sport through the scope of the playoffs. Uh, we enjoy football at all the – like, even the different levels of Division One. Like, I put UConn in this show. Why is UConn in this show besides just the pure joy of a football team that won, like, 20 games over 11 years, possibly making a bowl game? It's an incredible story. Absolutely. And like, um, thinking about the human side of it, could you imagine being a UConn football player on that campus when you have to you deal with UConn basketball, for- both men's and women's? Like, come on. Like, this is it's a great story. They yeah. could be the first. They've been fun to watch. And 10 years, whether they do nothing else, these guys are going to come back in their 30s with their kids and their families, and they're going to be honored at a UConn game in 10 years for being the first team to go to a bowl game and freaking 20 freaking years or whatever the number is. That is that's freaking cool. I, like it's cool. I've watched UConn so intently the last four weeks. 
hoping for this moment because it is one of those things on a Friday night, if I'm not doing anything, I'm just like, oh, UConn's probably playing or a team like that who doesn't have that deep-rooted history, you know, kind of struggling lately. They play on those nights because no one wants to watch them on Saturdays, but I'll watch them on Friday. Absolutely. And this whole month or like the last like few weeks, Tuesday, Wednesday, you've got football and it's incredible football still. And that's why it's fun. Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Thursday, and Friday. Let's knock these out. Group of five battle, Tulane, UCF. Who you got? Uh, Tulane, UCF, Tulane, UCF. Uh, I'm going to go with the green wave because they're going to be I, high I enough off the gumbo. Win, but I think UCF's going to win this one on the road. Yeah, I mean, eh, that one's hard. That, that one surprised me. Yeah. John Reese Plumley's electric. It's tough, but I think UCF's got that one. Uh, you think UConn gets bowl eligible? That's the question I wanted to ask you. Uh, they've got Liberty this week. I think that's a no. And they have Army to close the year out to go 6-6. Six and six. They should have three more games, right? No, they only have Army and Liberty left. I thought, oh, no, no, they should have yeah, three. Don't they play UMass still? I heard someone say they play UMass. No, they just played UMass. They already won that one. Uh, okay, hold on. Now I got to pull up this. All right, yeah, let's pull it up. I only saw Army and Liberty left. Oh, they're five and five already. They must have played in week zero. That's a week zero game. Ah. Yeah, because they're UConn. I don't know. Army's bad. I'm going to say yes. Army's bad this year. Army's bad. Uh, I think UConn's better than Army this year. I'm gonna say yes. God, if they could do it against Liberty, because it's not like I, it's not that I just I, I don't like Liberty University. <laughs> I don't like I Liberty. Don't. I don't like Hugh yeah. Freeze. We don't have to get into it, but it is crazy that they just uh, you know like uh, hid that sexual assault uh, kind of thing underneath the table with their president. They had their president like pantless on a yacht with like a student. As and the, and this you know the president doesn't. Come football, but they also have Hugh Freeze, Hugh Freeze messaging the student who had not, it wasn't even anything with the football program messaging yeah, the student defending the president at freaking like 2 o'clock in the morning. Like, yeah, it's, ah. it's, it's not a good place. Uh, it's a very religiously zealot school. Uh, now, I'm not very, I'm not pro-liberty at all, by any means. So, I would love if UConn a premier state university knocked him off as a premier state university graduate. That would be that would be great. Because um, village, that's that's my motto. Uh, all right, Bama and Clemson. That was a sweet. That was a sweet weekend. I just kind of want to relish in it. You know, it's very. It's not very often we get both of them losing at the same time. So I was figuratively higher off of those losses than Snoop Dogg and Wiz Khalifa have ever been in their life. The Clemson, and I have to say figuratively because, you know, it's a podcast, uh, the Clemson and Bama pack that were in the air, just spectacular. I mean, I've never figuratively had a pack better than that in my entire life. Uh, I was so high on life. Uh, It was amazing. It's just because, like, one of them is good. Like, one of them is enough. Honestly, like, just having the one could have made my week. But both of them in the same day, in the same time slot, like, ugh. Life doesn't get better than that. It just doesn't. I don't know what, like, this group is, but Sideline Sports Network, I think they're just a bunch of Twitter accounts. I don't think they actually do anything besides Twitter. Uh, Earlier in the day, and this is something I just want to lesson for everybody. So if you're an Ohio State fan, you've got the 730 game. Do not make fun of anybody in the new window. 
Uh, sidelines Clemson. Ohio State is 0 5 on drives against 1 7 Northwestern. The best offense in the country can't score on a team that has one win in eight games. College football at its finest. Completely not acknowledging the conditions of the game. Uh, sidelines Bama, but sidelines Clemson. I thought the mighty Ohio State had the number one QB and number one wide receiver corps in the country. How is this possible? 35 mile an hour wins. Uh, laughing face, some of them. I responded seven hours later, or eight hours later at 11 o'clock. 0-2 today, fellas. And I don't think I've ever had a more savory tweet. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think personally, I think you have. Because whatever you tweeted after Ohio State beat Clemson when they made us the number of whatever team in the country, I know that tweet was better. Uh, I don't even know what you yeah, tweeted. You more I just yeah. I, I don't even know what you tweeted. I just know it was better because of the circumstances and it was a direct win. <laughs> but this is probably top five for you. I'll give I'll give you that top five. Yeah. This is one of the best moments of my life, uh, my sports fandom. Uh, my uh, my sports villain might call this one. Uh, anytime they lose, I get I, I put on the Darth Vader outfit and I just go on Twitter. And the absolute best part about it is uh, we predicted it. Yeah. Uh, the last question, is it Georgia versus the field at this point? Uh, if it's Georgia versus the field, well, yeah, because Georgia's going to get in because they're not going to lose again. Georgia, but. like, if you had to pick Michigan, Ohio State, all the other teams outside of it to beat Georgia, would you take Georgia to win the national championship at this point? Or if, any of those different teams. Okay. I'm going to say this as measured as possible without trying to sound like a homer. If Ohio State is in the field, I'm still taking Ohio State because there are certain things that we can talk about later more in depth that I think benefit Ohio State against Georgia. And the only thing I'll talk about today, this will be a sneak peek because we're running long. Georgia's offense is not that good. In general, Ohio State's defense is better. Georgia's best offensive player is a tight end. And while he may be the best tight end in college football, no tight end has played well against Ohio State because of how Jim Knowles plays them. And a singular yeah. tight end can't win you a game. We won't talk about the offense against the defense. We won't. You guys, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's there. We won't talk about the offense versus the defense. We won't go into detail. We'll save that into our preview show when we're about to play them in the playoffs. But if Ohio State's in the field i'm still picking the field if ohio state's out of the field um, i think ohio state or georgia's winning i don't think anyone else has a chance yeah i i think right now if i had to make a non-homer prediction i think it's georgia versus the field i i don't think ohio state's played at the level georgia's played at in those two wins against so, oregon and tennessee i disagree 100 percent. and this is what i'll say i think tennessee was overrated and tennessee had some very major scheme flaws that were easily identified and could be stopped with the right talent i think ohio state could have stopped them as well and oregon with was the first week of the season and nothing in the first week of the season matters at all and I'm not yeah, overlooking. Minutes, I'm not overlooking Missouri, and I'm not overlooking Kent State. Georgia's defense has flaws. Now Jalen yeah, Carter it, coming back definitely helps, which is why I don't want to get into this. And I'm not like guaranteeing Ohio State win. I'm just not looking at what they did at Tennessee because Ohio State is not as easily stopped as Tennessee, and. This is going to be the craziest thing that I've said because it's true. Ohio State would be the best defense that Georgia's played all season. And that is freaking nuts That's to true. say. 
That is That's so true. nuts to say after the last like three or four years, but it is so true. And I I don't think Georgia would run the ball as effectively against Ohio State as they have against other teams. And they would they would test Stetson Bennett again. They would test Stetson Bennett and the wide receivers. They would put someone on the yeah. tight ends, and he's gonna get off. But we've seen wide receivers again. The tight end could have ten catches. Two hundred yards. He had eleven catches for like one hundred and sixty yards, and they still lost. One player is not going to beat you. So at the end of the day, I don't want to go into it too much, but I'm still confident that Ohio State can win that game. And if Ohio State's in the field currently, right now, I'm still picking Ohio State. All right, I respect it. Uh, Score prediction for this week against Indiana. A lot to a lot to a little. Uh, let me look at last year's. I think it's going to be exactly the same. 63 to, uh, 63 to 10. That's what you got? Yeah. Because somehow this All defense right. always look. allows a freaking touchdown. Oh, there it is. I got it. Uh, so 56 to 0 is the largest margin of victory. So winning by 56 points is the standard. Last year was 54 to 7. I, I honestly, I'm just going to say 54 to 7. Hold on. I'm trying to do math. How the hell do you get the 54? 47 points. 42. Nope, that's 51. I don't know how they did last year. 56. How the hell do you get the 52? That math isn't math. And hold on. The seven touchdowns, that's 42. Three field goals would be 51. If you go to 56, how much? Oh, oh, oh. Eight touchdowns, two field goals. 56 plus six is six. Is, no. Nope. That no. is 62. It has to be. It has to be four field goals. Oh, oh, no, 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 no! It's seven touchdowns, one field goal. Forty-nine and 54. three is fifty-two. Okay, it was fifty-four to seven. Oh my god! So, oh, so there had to be a safety. There had to be a safety, right? No, six touchdowns, four field goals. What? 42, 42 points and twelve. Oh, one. that's an ugly ass score. Yeah, it's one of the worst I've ever seen. So I'm going. <laughs> That's bad. Uh, I'm not calling a shutout this week. I'm not doing it. They're scoring seven. It's just Jim Knowles is sick. He gives up seven, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. All right, but yeah, you can find me at Chris Runny CFB. You can find the show at Buck Off Pod. Make sure you're subscribing. Uh, basketball season's here. Uh, no, it's not. Basketball doesn't exist until January. Hey, Ohio State's up right now. Charleston Southern, the power of the South. Uh, where do we find you at, Jordan? You can find me on Twitter at JordanW330. Uh, and you can find my work at LandGrantHolyLand.com. Oh, yeah. Make sure you go to the flagship site. We never say that. We don't. Uh, we don't. We need to we need to plug it more. There's a lot of a lot of great content there. And if you are yeah, tired yeah. of the same old, same old, boring stuff, if you want things that it's are opinionated, this is the this is the place to go. And with that, we're out of here. We'll see you guys after oh, we'll see you guys next week. Yeah.